Welcome back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hankst, and I am your host, your guide, and your biggest cheerleader on your unlearning journey. The Unlearning Podcast is all about helping you learn to love Jesus and your neighbor through healthy, life-giving Christian theology. For anyone new to the show, thank you for joining and checking this out. My name is Ashley, and I'm a Cuban-American, a graduate from Claremont School of Theology, a wife and a mother of a wonderful baby girl, and I live on Kumash Tanva land, currently known as Los Angeles. I've taken a two-month break with the Unlearning Podcast due to the arrival of my daughter, Ruth Ellen Hankst. She was born earlier this month, and she's so, so cute. She's doing really well. She can already hold her head up, and, and she smiles back at us, which is just feels like a miracle. We're so grateful for our little girl and, and very, very excited to be parents. I hope to one day do a whole series on unlearning and parenting, but I think I need some time before I tackle all of that. Anyway, I'm very glad to be back. Over the summer, I read a lot of amazing books, and I've been doing a lot of writing and wrestling with new ideas and my own unlearning, and so I'm excited to bring to you a fresh set of episodes in the coming weeks. One book that very much inspired a lot of my own critical thinking these last few months has been Brittany Cooper's book, Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower. In her book, Cooper devotes a whole chapter to what she calls grown woman theology. It's a womanist critique of the purity culture, and so I'm excited to unpack that for you and perhaps inspire you to purchase Cooper's groundbreaking feminist book. Too often when we think about evangelicalism and deconstruction, we think of it as this like raceless experience, as if evangelicalism is colorblind and racist white supremacist values hold no place in conservative Christian thinking. And yet, we forget that our country used scripture to justify the dehumanization of people of color for centuries. It's also really hard to see how our understanding of gender and sexuality, even in the evangelical biblical sense, is rooted in a white, racist, supremacist thinking. So much of what we were taught as evangelicals around sex and gender articulates a patriarchal ideal of heterosexual middle-class men aspiring to make enough money so their heterosexual middle-class Wives can stay at home and raise children away from the world, away from progressive thinking, away from wokeness, and away from any kind of free thinking about sexuality. Brittany Cooper challenges this ideal and helps readers to analyze the purity culture from a Black feminist perspective. And so like with every episode on the Unlearning Podcast, what I'm about to share with you is simply food for thought something to consider when thinking about your own journey with gender and sexuality and your own faith in God. I want to offer up some food for thought as we think through what Brittany Cooper proposes. In Brittany Cooper's chapter on grown woman theology, she describes a conversation with her grandmother that sparks a learning process for Cooper. To read that conversation, I want to encourage you to check out Cooper's book yourself. This episode is in no way a substitute for purchasing Cooper's book and reading it on your own. This episode is a critical analysis and application of Cooper's theology that I believe is extremely helpful in how we all understand sex and sexuality within the evangelical purity culture. So here we go. Brittany Cooper had a conversation with her loving grandmother that helped her develop what she describes a pragmatic blend of both feminism 
and Christianity. In describing her own personal journey with her Black Baptist Church, not to be confused with the predominantly white Southern Baptist Church, but her own journey with a Black Baptist Church in Louisiana, Cooper wrote, and I quote, I was trapped in a raging battle between my spirit and my flesh. The evangelical teachings of the Baptist churches in which I grew up insisted that our flesh, our bodies, and their longings and impulses were sinful, dangerous, and unhealthy. We were admonished each week to bring our unruly flesh in submission to our spirit, man. I was determined to live my life as a good evangelical should. I had life goals and desires for success. Sex messed with your head. Boys were fun, but trouble and a baby before you wanted one could ruin your life. This was my credo in triplicate. End quote. A lot of us can relate to Cooper's description of being trapped in a raging battle between her spirit and her flesh. Evangelicals are constantly taught, directly and indirectly through what we approve, esteem, and celebrate, that our bodies, our longings, and their impulses are sinful, dangerous, and unhealthy. Every once in a while, I'll bump into an evangelical pastor who is so hard on himself and other people, and so stiff emotionally, that it reminds me of this reality, that we were taught to fear our bodies, to fear our emotions and to constantly pray our physical longings away, even something as simple as our longing for rest. Cooper goes on to write about how how much her theology was informed by the True Love Waits campaign of the 1990s and about her memorization of Bible verses condemning sex before marriage. Cooper wrote about Lifeway bookstores and how they got on the sex sales train by selling lots of True Love Waits books. She wrote, and I quote, Christians wanted to talk about sex too, even if only to suggest that no one should be having it. That is, unless they were of age, straight, married, and preferably Christian. End quote. That's so true, isn't it? I totally remember a sermon by an evangelical pastor, Mark Driscoll, where he literally used the book of Song of Solomon to make a biblical case for blowjobs in marriages. Driscoll often preached that the way our larger culture talks about and participates in sex is good, really good, in so long as it happens within a straight, heterosexual, Christian marriage, limiting sexual pleasure and sexual communion to straight, heterosexual Christian people. This may all sound fine and dandy if you are straight, but consider for a moment what this feels like if you are not. And consider the kind of expectation this teaching puts on marriages. Are married couples more likely to engage in sex freely, or do they do so out of obligation? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 7? This is one of the biggest verses we use to help instill a kind of purity culture thinking. Paul wrote in verse 4, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You see, when we preach a literal application of this verse, sex is no longer about passion, desire, connection, or even love. It's about obligation. You don't belong to yourself 
according to Paul. You belong to your partner whom you are married to. You were bought with a price. Remember that verse? Jesus paid that price on the cross. Marriage reflects this kind of relationship. Your husband sacrificed sex with all other people to only have this kind of intimacy with you. You don't belong to yourself. That's the kind of thinking we are given, and that's the kind of thinking we have around sex. It's weird and it's toxic, but it is something we need to think about and really examine and unlearn. Imagine what this kind of thinking does to people who, in addition to the toxicity of the purity culture, suffer from the toxicity of racism. Cooper wrote, and I quote, I had imbibed a set of social ideas about black girlhood and womanhood rooted in the fear of being a failure and the social shame of becoming a statistic. End quote. I think Cooper's words about shame and the fear of becoming a statistic are really important to note because the majority of white women do not inherit these same fears. Sure, there is a sense of social shame sometimes in becoming a teen mom for white women, perhaps even poor, unwed white women. But our white supremacist American culture has put extra shame and extra pressure on black women, making the social and emotional punishment even more intense, making it even more difficult and challenging for young black unwed mothers to climb out of poverty. Let me be clear. I don't think there should be any shame for any person getting pregnant at any age. I just want to highlight the way that our culture reacts and how much more intense it is for women of color. Despite this very challenging reality that Brittany Cooper inherited, being a young Black woman from Louisiana, her grandmother encouraged her to embrace her own sexuality and to live with a kind of freedom and sexual pride. Cooper went on to describe her grandmother's thinking on sexual freedom and oneness with one's body as a theology that is a liberatory theology, a theology that sees our bodies as good, worthy of pleasure and connection and free. Cooper wrote, and I quote, that a liberatory theology for us cannot set us at war with our very bodies. A liberatory theology for women cannot set us at war with our desires for touch, companionship, and connection that well up deep like springs in our spirits. When we hear about how the heart is deceitful above all things, which is an actual verse, it teaches us to suppress our deepest longings, to not trust our own thoughts and our own counsel. For people who have been enslaved and impressed because of their race or gender or sexuality, such interpretations are dangerous. End quote. I want to repeat what Cooper wrote. Listen to this carefully. For people who have been enslaved and oppressed because of their race or gender or sexuality, such interpretations of the Bible that the heart is deceitful above all things, such interpretations of the Bible are dangerous. I have for a long time believed the idea that my heart is deceitful above all things. It has made it very difficult for me to trust myself. I've been on this unlearning journey and doing this deconstruction work for 17 years now, and I still struggle with trusting myself. So I want to really help you think about this. 
Consider how this kind of theology is damaging, but especially damaging to Black women. It sends them the message that they are not to question what they are hearing about their race or their gender or what people are saying about their role in the world. It teaches Black women not to even question God. Brittany Cooper's grandmother encouraged her to question God. She wrote, and I quote, My grandmother showed me that I could take a different approach to my theology, that I could, that it could be a push and pull, a debate, and even an ongoing set of arguments with God. End quote. Remember that Job argued with God. So did Moses and Abraham and the prophets often complained and lamented what they perceived to be what God was doing. And yet we are taught that scripture says, We should never argue with God, for our impulse to think differently is evil. Cooper wrote, and I quote, The thing that we would all do well to remember is that conservative Christianity was used to enslave black people. We can use our theology to oppress or to liberate people. That's our choice. End quote. If conservative white Christian theology was used to do so many terrible things, i.e. enslave Africans, colonize indigenous land, rob people of their culture, remove their reproductive rights of women, why would we be so quick to follow it? It's almost, almost a religion of imperialism. My wife and I have been watching Andor on Disney+, and it's this amazing Star Wars show about raising up a rebellion against the imperial forces. There is this wonderful scene where Luthen, played by Stellan Skarsgård, where he talks about how comfortable people have become with being oppressed. Luthen's line really made me think of the many ways that I have become being oppressed. I want to believe that I've been liberated from all sorts of toxic thinking and toxic systems, that I used to be enslaved to these things and I don't, they don't affect me anymore, but we don't live in a perfect world. Therefore, I always want to keep a sharp analysis of my life and do all that I can to ensure I never go back to the toxic thinking and the toxic relationships and to constantly question in what ways am I becoming comfortable with oppression, whether it's my oppression or the oppression of others. How do we stop being at war with our very bodies? How do we stop hating our desires and needs for touch? her companionship. We begin with acceptance. We accept who we are, what we long for, and what we desire, and we affirm it as good. The acceptance passage from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous should be written down in everyone's Bible. Let me read it for you today. Acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, or thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Please hear the beautiful truth of that passage. We can find no serenity until we live in acceptance. 
until we accept a person, place, or thing, or situation as exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. This doesn't mean we don't protest injustice or fight against evil. This means we accept who we are, our shortcomings, our longings, our desires, and work towards fulfilling them safely. As we work towards finding connection, we accept that we must do so patiently and with consent. As we work towards finding someone to partner with, we accept that we must kiss a lot of frogs or date a lot of people until we find that person. As we work towards a more just anti-racist society, we must accept our own shortcomings and our own shortcomings in our own analysis and accept the constant need to move towards progress. If we reject the truth about our lives, if we are on some level rejecting this, we are rejecting reality, and that can lead to serious mental health issues. When we reject what our bodies want and need, what our hearts long for, we reject the reality of our lives and live in a kind of spiritual division within. In concluding her grandmother's teachings, Cooper wrote that her grandmother, and I quote, modeled for her one of the core things Black church girls would do well to remember about Jesus. He fully embodies both the divine and the human. If we spent as much time thinking about how he lived as we do worshiping how he died, our faith would demand that we prioritize a better integration of flesh and spirit, of humanity and divinity. I love that. If we spent as much time thinking about how Jesus lived than how he died, we'd have a better integration of flesh and spirit, of humanity and divinity. We would feel more whole and less at war with ourselves. Cooper's words are a call to wholeness, sexual wholeness, and mental and spiritual wholeness. This is Cooper's grown woman theology, a theology that owns and accepts one's humanity as being good, worthy of love and exploration, one's humanity being a divine gift to be celebrated. I hope this episode has given you food for thought and that it's inspired you to consider the white supremacy in your own thinking about gender and sexuality. It's always there telling you not to trust who you are. May God bless you with the kind of wholeness that Black feminist theologian Brittany Cooper envisions. And may God bless you with an increasing faith in yourself, in your own journey, as you continue on this unlearning process. Until next time, my name is Ashley Lynn Hengst, and you are listening to The Unlearning Podcast. Mm-hmm.